Welcome to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. I'm Rebecca Plum, your big sister. And I'm Sean Serha, your GBF. We're not that hot or that young. But we believe it's a state of mind that helps us build adaptable and profitable businesses. We rely on the support of our design besties to get through each day. So let's explore the emotional, practical, and humorous sides of being interior designers. Welcome to the club. Hi, Sean. What's up, Rebecca? We have a original hottie here. OG status for our hottie audience. We are welcoming Abigail Horace today. Yes, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So, Abby, tell us, like, I know we've talked a little bit about your path and we've been in DMs together a lot, but I'd love for our audience to hear. we're all in DMs a lot. (laughs) Yes, Yes. we're we're DMers. (laughs) Tell us about your I don't know, your career path. And sure. What you so my name is Abigail Marcelo Horace. I am the owner and principal designer of Casa Marcelo. We are an interior design firm specializing in full home design, new builds and renovations here in Falls Village, Connecticut. We're in the northwest corner of Connecticut, which is near the Berkshires. So I kind of take over Northwest Connecticut, Berkshires, and I do a lot of projects in New York City, which is where I'm from. And so we really focus on creating spaces where our clients are the focus and the muse of the space. And I don't push my design on people, but I really try to see their potential in their space. <laughs> okay, perfect. How can, can you tell us like how, so you're on your own now, how long have you been running your own business? We have been running our business for four years officially. I would say it's probably six in reality, (laughs) but I started this business on the side. It was a side hustle for a little bit. I was working for an interior design firm. I've been in the interior design industry for over 10 years at that point. And I wanted to challenge myself in a way. And also... I think when you work for other people, you really get pigeonholed into one thing. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't feel like I was designing enough. And I also wanted to get out of the kind of redundant environment that I was in. And I wanted to start something that was a little more inclusive. So that's how I started Casa Marcelo. Can you go into what you mean by redundant? Yes. So because we haven't worked for commercial firms, the two of us. So it's a totally different. Of course. Of course. So, you know, I grew up in the arts. I was definitely a child of the arts. My parents put us in art, dance classes, music classes. I played clarinet for most of my life. I played Mm -hmm. piano. I've done dance, like everything. Um, I have two sisters and one brother. My brother is still a jazz pianist. My One of my sisters was a vocalist. My mother's a vocalist. My father is like a sound engineer, but he's also an electrician by trade. And my other sister was a dancer. So we all grew up in the arts and we all love the arts. And then I guess once I got to high school and I was changing up my room a lot and doing a lot of things with my room, started watching Extreme Makeover, Extreme <laughs> makeover home edition. And I was like, oh, this can actually be something that I can follow and pursue as a career. And I guess my brother was really a lot of like the decision that I made. I didn't want to be kind of, no offense to my brother, but I didn't want to be like a starving artist. (laughs) I wanted to be someone who 
made money off of my art, right? And so that's kind of what led me into interior design. I went to school, a four-year school, NYIT, New York Institute of Technology in Old Westbury, New York. And I graduated in 2010. And then that's when I started getting into the field. I was in the field beforehand, like 2006, 2007. I started working in various showrooms and firms just to get some things on my resume because I already knew it was going to be a difficult path, you know, leaving school, especially as a person of color. So I did all the things like I volunteered, studied abroad, like I had all the things on my resume, right? Because I wanted to to make sure I landed the perfect job, right? And so when I got out, I guess reality set in, right? Because the first job that I got wasn't amazing. Like I wasn't being called left and right. Like, hey, come work with me. And this is 2010, Um, you said? This is 2010, yeah. We're like in the depths of the recovery still. Totally, yeah. And so I kind of hustled a little bit. I worked a lot of odd jobs, but still in the field. And, you know, for 10 years, just working, working, working at various different firms. I worked for WeWork for a time. I worked for a large company, HLW. Those didn't actually last long. I'll tell you more about that. Wait, did you get to go to any of those WeWork parties? No, I didn't. So I didn't (laughs) last there. I I didn't last long at all. And that was one of my biggest heartbreaks, I guess. When I worked for WeWork, I was the only Black Latina designer in the whole entire space. It was their first space that they had acquired. And I remember the interview process being really long. And once I got there, just a lot of culture clash in general. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) there was a lot of clashing, it seems like. Yeah. It was a lot of, the rumors are true. Like, you know, there were a lot of people staying there for very, very long hours. And that just didn't feel right to me. I know that there's an opportunity and that you're you're supposed to, you know, hustle for opportunities. But I also believe in having a work-life balance. And doesn't matter if you have children or if you're married. Like, you need a life beyond your work. Um, 100%. So, yeah, there's so we work with, we work 24-7. <laughs> Okay. But I was I was definitely not really there long. And once I, I was let go from that job, and I think I was there for probably a month. And when they sat me down and they told me, I remember one time there was a few weeks before that, somebody had asked me to say something in Spanish because they didn't believe that I spoke Spanish. And so they were like testing what? me, like as if they the would proof? even know what I was saying. Oh my <laughs> God. Yeah, like if you saying, you're saying you're like the only the only person there who how are they going to test it like right exactly and also the idea of having to test and prove your culture for for people for anybody like what so whack perform yeah and that particular person was like no offense but a woman from greenwich connecticut where i'm pretty sure you know she had a red carpet laid out for her at all times so it Mm -hmm. was just very it felt very demeaning in a way and disrespectful yeah. to kind of ask me, you know, to say yeah. something in Spanish. But then a few weeks after that, they sat me down in a conference room and they said, we just don't think you're a really good fit for this Ooh. company. And I was like, okay, so can you give me examples of like how I'm not a good fit? And I just don't understand like where this is going. They were like, we've already made our minds up, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, can you give me an example? I'm sorry, we don't have oh. any examples. 
that's what they said to me. And I was like, okay, this is very, to me, it was very clear that it was just a cultural mm-hmm. clash and that it's like, a, we don't like, we don't like you or we don't want you here kind of is what it's right. sounding like. And they didn't well, want to have like, to justify it. Lucky they right. didn't get a lawsuit. Right. I mean, and I, plenty think, of others, I think that's definitely, you know, one of the downfalls, right? Like there are things that are discriminatory in, in a lot of practices but I also feel like a lot of people of color are at a disadvantage because we don't have access to lawyers or mm-hmm. attorney fees or things like that. So mm-hmm. we don't even try to get into it, right? We just kind of let it go and call it a bad experience and keep it moving. And it's just adding to your distress and trauma that you're already feeling from losing 100%. your job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how yeah. could you pay for all of that? Like, go get another job so you can work to survive, but then also pay for representation or a mediator or an attorney or whoever, like that's coming out of your survival money. That's coming out of what you need to just move on with your life literally. So it just adds insult to it to have to keep putting more hurdles in front of getting treated fairly. Completely. And I think I don't want this to be like, you know, a kind of negative situation where I'm telling you all about our, our negative experiences, but I also want people to be aware of, you know, our perspective and how we go through yeah. our careers in general, where I often felt like all the accolades did come into play, right? For me, a lot of people looked at my resume and felt like it was very impressive. I also have been told that I have a white name. <laughs> so people would, you know, hire or asked me to interview and I could sometimes see the disappointment, like walking into the room, like, Oh Oh my God, they were expecting somebody else that looked, you know, that was like maybe a white Abigail. I don't know. I, I, my mother named me a Hebrew name, right. It's Mm -hmm. a biblical name. So I don't see that as a white name, but I think a lot of people do. And so it was disappointing to see that oftentimes when I would walk into interviews and like, then feel like I had the pressure on me even more to perform and to, you know, prove, prove that I, yeah, that I, that I should be here. So that's, yeah, that was, that was my experience interviewing and, and all of that, but it's, it's really hard. I mean, I think it's just uh, something, like I said, with, with, we were talking before about speaking with students about my experience and a lot of them resonated with it. My school right now, NYT, the last thesis class that I spoke to was probably around 80 to 90% people of color or foreigners. Hmm. So a lot of them resonated with the experience that I had. And a lot of them were already working at firms and also felt the same way. So I think it's something, you know, worth highlighting. Because that's right now, that's very current still. It is. So, yeah, I mean, I think it, I think also a lot of it came into play with me being from New York City and being in a diverse city. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And going into an office where I was the only one felt very strange to me. I came from a neighborhood that was <clears throat> predominantly black. I went to school with people who were foreigners and people who were a lot of people of color, a lot of Latinos. And I had a lot of like Israeli friends and Jewish friends and Polish and Albanian, like all of that. We, it was a melting pot in Queens. 
So to come from that and then go into an office where a lot of people aren't even from New York, they're from, you know, Mm. outside of New York, or they just moved to New York for this job and things like that. So it was a, it was also a culture clash in that way where I didn't feel like they understood my New York behavior. (laughs) And New York York culture. uh, And you were in New York. Yeah. Yeah. That's really weird. That's a lot of people in New York though. But so it is, it's like really shocking for me to imagine that, that environment, like you're that sort of out of body experience of leaving what is like a very diverse, like section cut of life in New York, like on the subway, walking on the streets. And then you're just like walking into this like old boys club once you get through the doors of the office every day, you know, or like that, that environment of just like, oh, it gets left behind once you pass the security desk. Like, oh yeah. And, and also the other part of that is, you know, when I wasn't doing high end residential design, going from, you know, going from a train station where people are panhandling and, you know, homeless people are laying on the platform, basically. Mm -hmm. Then you go to a penthouse that has like a $50,000 sofa and, you know, it's just it just puts things in perspective for you of like how how people are living in New York City versus like how the rest of New York City is living. <laughs> right. And so it really helped me to understand that I really feel everybody deserves a beautiful space no matter what tier they are in and I also feel that, you know, it's up to us sometimes to give back to our communities if we're seeing this much money come in then we should be able to take a percentage of that and give it back to the people who really need it. Cause we're mm-hmm. in this high end area where we can see that and take, mm-hmm. take from that and give back. And that's where like my philanthropic, but that's like not, not part of this conversation, but that's part of like how I feel about philanthropy and how I want my business to eventually be able to give back to the community. Okay. So when you're talking about speaking to the group of students now, and there was like a lot more students of color and from other countries, does that feel like a big change from when you were there? Just the student population itself? Oh, yeah. Which sounds so, like kind of hopeful to me that at least they feel like the doors are opening to them, even though they may not yet be fully embraced when they get to their jobs yet. Yeah. Like, do you feel that? That's very true. I, so when I was in school, I was probably one of two, one of three black students in my graduating class. And so I think, yes, that's definitely like a sign of change. My, my program was in on Long Island. So that's very, it's a lot, it's like kind of Jersey. It's like a small Jersey in New York. So (laughs) So that was my first culture clash, like in my life. That was my first culture clash of realizing, oh, people, not everybody in New York is like me in Queens, New York. But then I think that when I started speaking to the students, I did realize that there are way more people of color now. And I agree with you that it's definitely opening the doors, but that program is in New York city. Okay. Now it's in New York City. They didn't offer it in New York City at the mm-hmm. time I was in school. So I think okay. it's just more reflective of the population in New York City versus Long Island, where I it was see. mostly right. white and not as many Black students. 
But even do make for them to make that move, whether it was intentional or not, is kind of ushering in a more diverse future Definitely. of designers. I, I mean, one of our missions here is to make sure we're like reaching diverse audiences and feeling very inclusive. I know like all of these like buzzwords are kind of cringy sometimes, <laughs> but like, I think having for everyone, everyone listening, anyone who has any kind of platform or even just eyeballs, like to just have some awareness of what you're bringing into your brain. And are you opening yourself to new ideas? And I think the more we all can do to promote. So it's not otherness anymore. Like just promote different types of people that maybe it's not a lifestyle you grew up with, but it's still I don't know, in the fabric of all of our lives, like all of our differences and samenesses. And I don't know, it's so much more interesting. It's part of our humanness, right? So I I think that when you invite people of other cultures into your firms and see the value in them and don't treat it as an opportunity for them, right? But an opportunity for you to grow and develop and to get a different perspective of like how certain things should be designed. I think that helps and, and kind of sows into your business. And I think that what my experience has been often is that I'm seen as like, this is a great opportunity for you. Right. Like, yeah. Oh, so I'm so happy. Thank you for the opportunity. But I also felt like in that same vein, that was an opportunity for them to pay me less, not give me benefits. A lot of the jobs I had didn't have benefits, you know, things like that, Mm -hmm. where it was just like, why am I here? And that was kind of what pushed me to make Casa Marcelo because I just kept feeling like, why am I here? And why am I hustling so hard for companies that won't sew into me the way that I'm sewing into them? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, You're giving like your best creative energy and trying to show them, oh, look, I'm 100% always with you, giving everything I possibly have to be great at this and probably working harder than a lot of your contemporaries or peers around you. Like, in order to just prove that you still need, you still have to you still should have that seat with them and they just need to think of it like as this skill. It's a, it's a whole different skill base that you're bringing in even just with layering on your education, but your cultural experiences and the things that you can share about the way that people live and the people use their homes. Like the fact that they can just ignore that whole vault of experience. It's, it's right. not, and it's not also, surprising at I, this point, but it's shocking that it's still that way. Like, Right. And I also, I speak Spanish and a lot of laborers are Spanish, right? Yeah. Right. So that was a huge asset for me when I would go to interviews and like, yes, I can communicate with the contractors. I can communicate with the movers thoroughly. Like there will be no language barrier. We can talk to them and not seeing that as a as a star or, or maybe seeing it as a star, but still seeing it as like, well, this is an opportunity for them to be on our team, you know? And I think it goes yeah. both ways. It is an opportunity, but it's, it goes both ways. So yeah, it's, it's a journey. <laughs> How do you think that's changed the way that you're doing things 
in your own business because you get to set the direction and the tone and and all of that like how does that and how has that base. experience you had yeah like how does it change what you now work with on a day-to-day so when i was working in the field i i think i said this but i probably eight out of ten jobs i was the only black or latina woman on the team out of all of the jobs that i've worked and who knows they're countless i probably had two to three clients that were people of color And so that was something that I just felt needed to change, right? It wasn't by design, but ever since starting my business, I would say probably 85% of my clientele are people of color. Mm -hmm. And that has brought me so much joy because I, like I said before, I feel like everyone deserves a beautiful home. And Mm -hmm. I, I, I see that as sewing into my, into my community. I see that as giving back to my community through my services but it's been such a a joy to be able to do that when I didn't have it when I was working for other companies. And then the other thing that I did once I realized I was probably the only one, I started to kind of seek community. And a, the way that I did that was through Instagram. So I started following a lot of Black designers. Nicole White is one of my favorite ones to follow. And she's such a sweetheart. Like she's always, she never thinks too highly of herself. She's always DMing and in the DMs and, you know, just kind of building that community for myself so I could see that it was possible. And I think that gave me the confidence to go after it myself. I had one more experience. I was moved up to Connecticut for a job four years ago. And by that time I had my, I had my son, he was about a year old and we wanted to get out of New York city. I kept feeling like, what is the point of staying here when my workplace is not diverse or, you know, it's not Mm -hmm. as diverse as New York city. What's the point? I can move to the suburbs and be in the same, basically the same firm if I were in the suburbs. (laughs) Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. So I was like, I just want a backyard for my son. We moved here for a job. And they kind of made a position for me, a senior designer position, because they really liked what I had to give. And I said, I told myself, if this is another toxic environment, or if this is another environment where I don't see myself thriving, I'm just going to start my own business. And so two weeks before COVID hit, (laughs) things were not working out right. And I had a long conversation with my bosses and I just decided, you know what, this is the end for me. And that's when I started Casa Marcelo. And then two weeks later, I was like, what did I do? But <laughs> but it actually worked out because people were in their homes and yeah. it was amazing. I mean, I had a lot of business during that time and it's kind of slowing down now, actually. But I had a lot of business during that time because of COVID. So right. it it that's how I got into Casa Marcelo. I mean, this is it was really kind of like. I'm fed up with this situation. And if I can't be in an office and feel comfortable with myself or feel like I, or not have to feel like I have to code switch, um, mm-hmm. I just don't feel like I can do it anymore. Like I was already 30, 31, 32, and I'm like, I, I can't do this anymore. And so that's how I started Casa Marcelo. And with Casa Marcelo, I think that I tried to be inclusive with the types of resumes and that I bring in and people that I bring in to work with us. But I also feel like our clientele has definitely changed. And I feel so much more comfortable speaking to people who look like me, 
or who came from the same backgrounds or it's their first time buying a home. They have no idea what they're doing and, you know, things like that where I can really relate to them versus, you know, the types of clients I had in New York City. No, and I will still take them, but, you know, they have like a nanny for each kid and they live in a a $12 million brownstone. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just a different, it's a different, it's just a different demographic. And I think that it's been great to, to be of service to them. So Abby, I feel like something that I hope young designers and especially designers that have felt others or, or othered, or like, they're not sure if they can go out on their own. I feel like something that you said that is an important thing to remember is like you said, like 85% of your client base is people of color and you didn't necessarily like go out like waving a flag like that's what you were looking for but just because you are you showing up and being yourself in doing luxury design you are attracting that type those types of people because they they don't have to code switch because i think there's even the client side that is like i don't want to hire this old <laughs> white lady to do my house like they're not going to get it that is you know? 100% right. Yep. And I think also, I think that is definitely part of it because I feel like they talk to me right. like I'm a family member. And it's really, really a different dynamic than what I had when I was in the industry. It's such a breath of fresh air to be able to really be myself, truly myself, and be like, girl, that wallpaper isn't working. This, I don't do purple. <laughs> You know, like, or say, you know, just be upfront about things instead of like trying to hide it behind some professional way of mm. saying things or, or, you know, comfortable ways of saying things to, to people where I could really be just transparent. And that has been just amazing for me in general, mm-hmm. for my mental health and everything. Not and to for have them, to like, switch. I think yeah. they probably feel like, I think we all need to remember, I'm sure we, I mean, we all know this, but we are in people's homes. Like it's their most mm-hmm. sacred, intimate place. And I think that like, I know, like I have a lot of clients that for cultural reasons, different reasons, don't want shoes in their house. And I know it feels like I've had it happen where they feel uncomfortable asking it. And so now it's just an automatic thing. Like I never want anyone to feel uncomfortable asking me to behave in a way that Mm -hmm. is their lifestyle for whatever reason. So there's things that I keep adding to my kind of repertoire of like openness and understanding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not just going to assume that I can just tromp around your house with shoes. I mean, that's just one little thing, but but it's important to people. It is important. And I think they're comfortable with us. Yes. And I also think that people of color try to support one another. So when they see that you are starting your own business or you're trying to, you know, start something for yourself, they're so much more supportive. I've heard plenty of clients like say to me, you're doing your thing. Like I'm definitely supporting you whenever I get this house or whatever, I'm going to contact you like, and they refer me a lot. And so it's just been, it's been a very supportive environment. And that is something that helps me cultivate 
my own business and also my confidence in what I'm doing. I've had many years of experience in this business, but being amongst a lot of the non-diverse environments has definitely beaten down my confidence (laughs) in like myself and like who I am as a designer. And so I think it's rebuilding now with the types of clients that I have. I, I used to get like, when I was in the industry, I used to get the most difficult clients. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I used to get like the crappy projects that nobody wanted sometimes, or like the clients that were just, and sometimes my, my bosses didn't believe me about like how they were treating me or things like that. And so it really just kind of took a toll on the way the confidence mm-hmm. that I had in my bosses too, like it was kind of like every man for themselves, right? And I didn't or they're want to gaslighting be you and you're right. like questioning yeah. your own. Definitely like, felt gaslighted like, many me? times. Like you're like, what am, right. am I the one who's causing? Th- like, is it something I'm saying or doing? And you're like, wait a minute, or interpreting? No, it's, but no. Yeah, like, right. It's enough to make you question any skill or ability you have. Right. And I think as a black woman, also, you're always like walking on eggshells to not be labeled as like, what is that called? Like a difficult Mm. black woman or, you know, angry black woman. Yeah. Angry black woman. Like you're always trying not to do those things or say exactly what you feel so that or always have a professional mannerism so that you're not labeled in that way. And so I felt like I was always doing that, especially with difficult clients. Like I know they, you know, come to my bosses and say, you know, this person treated me this way and not really being transparent, but like, I really, you know, they really didn't treat me this way. And then they're like interrogating me instead of, yeah, you know, yeah, it's like asking you, well, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, team like, are versus you on? saying like, well, what did the, what did the, what did the client do and tell me more and why are they doing that? It's like, well, what did you say? Did you come at a bad time? Were they upset about, and you're like, hold on a minute. I didn't do anything wrong here. Like this is how this person is treating behavior. And if anything, this idea, like, I don't, I think what's tough is I'm glad that you found a path to your business and cre- are creating this lifestyle for yourself, for your family, for your children, for the way you want to live. And that's, but, and, and I want to acknowledge that along with that, the, that not everyone is going to be in that place and might just like you have to stay in a job longer than they should or in an environment that's not healthy for them so long. And that we, it's raising this constant awareness of, we shouldn't all as people be living like that. We shouldn't have to be forced to be in these hostile work environments or these harassing work environments. And by you having to hide it and, and essentially like you at some point have to make the call, like I have to leave. I can't be here anymore because it's not healthy for me. And I can only imagine. But it sounds like you also didn't have support from like coworkers either, like peers. Yeah, really. and that's that's so much of the design yeah. world too. I think supportive is the is the word. Yeah, it, it is part of the design world, and I think that support mm-hmm. is the key word, though. Like being able to be supported as a person of color in the office, and not. And I think that goes back to opportunity versus value, right? Like not just treating it as an opportunity for this person, but understanding their value to the business and to the company and supporting Mm -hmm. them in the ways that they need. Um, 
to make it and to, to, to feel like, you know, once, once a person of color feels supported in a business, they will be loyal. Like I would be loyal to you. I will be loyal to you because I feel supported. But when I don't get that support, then I'm just feeling like, well, what am I here for? You know, was it always your dream to have your own business or do you feel like you kind of were a little bit forced into it? I, I do feel a little forced into it because I really felt like I was climbing this ladder. And I, at some point during my career, I was just like, this ladder is invisible. I, there's no missing ladder. Some wrongs. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, what am I, why am I working so hard for these people? I'm just going to start my own business and I'm going to cultivate an environment that's inclusive and supports their team and is understanding and is flexible. Once I had a baby and I, you know, I was in one of my high end offices, I didn't feel supported then either. You know, I was, I was, I had maternity, that's a whole nother thing, but I went on maternity leave. I came back and I was expected to be full throttle Abby pre baby. And I'm like, that's my priorities have completely yeah. shifted. That's first of all. Secondly, I'm not getting enough You're sleep dem- at night. So my brain, right, just, yeah, my brain is just not, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that's just not possible. But at the same time I'm here and I'm trying my best. Right. So just be supportive of where I'm at and work with me. And that's kind of the environment that I want to cultivate here. And that's why I started Customer Solo. It really was, I felt like I was pushed into it. I really, I'm a hopeful and optimistic person in general. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I always, every time I got a job, I was like, this is it. I'm going to be here for like, like I'm gonna 15 be a lifer. years. <laughs> you know, like this, I'm going to have, yeah, like I'm going to have my second child here. Like the last job I had, I was like, I'm going to have my second child here. I'm going to, you know, stay here for a couple. I'm going to be their senior designer for, you know, 10 years, whatever. Didn't work out again. And, you know, it would just always be a letdown. But at the same time, I had told myself before I got that job, like, I'm not going to look for more jobs. I'm just going to start my own. And that's kind of what pushed me into it. Because I guess I wonder about if there's anyone listening who is working for a firm and for whatever reason feels, I don't know, unsupported or pushed aside, or they see people in their environment. I mean, I know I've heard of firms that aren't the most inclusive and designers are witnessing things that their bosses are doing and everyone feels kind of paralyzed and it's clearly an abuse of abuse of power and probably illegal. <laughs> and it's like, I, I just don't know if you have advice to give yourself, you know, if you were looking back and you're like in a position where you don't want to start your own business or you don't feel ready to do it. Like, I don't know. Is there anything that you can think of that you wish you knew now? Or then? Well, I guess I'm, I always say this to people, like, I don't regret the path that I took and I don't regret all of the jobs that I've had. I think that in the, even the negative experience, I've learned what I don't want to be and what I don't want to have in my firm. Right. Mm -hmm. Or how I, it, it, it's a learning Mm -hmm. whichever way it goes. I do think that, you know, it does strengthen, it gives you a thick skin to work for firms 
sometimes that are like very diva environment. And I think that at least working for one firm for like three years, a good high end firm to be able to understand how, you know, how this machine works, I think is really useful. But I've sometimes I feel like I stayed in it too long. You know, I think I could have left earlier and gotten further in this in Casa Marcelo than I am now. So I guess my advice would be like, whenever you feel ready, just go and, and just, just know that if it's the right path for you, or if it's aligned, or if, you know, the universe allows it, then things will just start happening for you and thing opportunities will just come up. Cause that's what happened for me. I don't feel like I wanted to, but I was like, I told myself, I gave myself this promise and I'm going to do it. And things just started coming through the door for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that also is a karma thing of like how many years I've put into this and how much stress it's caused me and how much, you know, how much I, how much optimism I had about it. And then just getting that, you know, threefold into my business, um, has been yeah truly a blessing so go for but it also your you talent can. also your talent your ability to work hard and all of that yes. definitely factors in and you have grown yes. i mean i completely for i mean sean and i both as most people should know are second careerists and i had a lot of jobs before even before i had a <clears throat> position in, as a graphic designer I worked for so many crazy places. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, a photo, like a professional photo studio where my boss would show me like naked pictures oh my of my predecessor oh my in his private office, like <laughs> for their Christmas card. Like, here's oh a B roll, like just really weird stuff. And just feeling like, what am I doing? I have a college degree. Is this normal? I need money. And sometimes I look back at, or for a long time, I would look back at some of those jobs and just think like, that was so random. Why did I do that? That did nothing for me. But now like I can go back to each crazy job and there's a lesson or even just career or no, like actual technical knowledge that I learned that does help me now. And I don't know. Yeah. We just have to I don't think people no. need to collect their. I was just gonna say, don't you abuses? think that has helped you warn other people, <laughs> I don't think or like warn but... your family or your children, or like talking to other? Like, I can count the times I've shared my experiences of things that were bad work environments, or abusive, or coercive, or now when I talk to other people, I share that with them. I'm like, no, that's not okay, or no, that is illegal. Like, you literally need to like, that's not okay. And creep yes. vibes, like, listen to them because, like. Going like if you feel yes. the creep, yeah. listen to I your instinct. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. listen to your gut because yeah, there have been many jobs where I'm like, is this is this right? And then I go into them mm-hmm. with an open mind, and then it turns yeah. out not and to be right. I feel like know? a lot of yeah. this yeah. has yeah. really yeah. shown, like as as you've been sharing with us, Abby is like showing me, especially like I know why I got into creating my business the way I did. And I never want to fall into the, and it's what, where I'm going with this is it's easy when we start getting into the flow, the hustle, the, oh, this is how everyone's organizing their business. Sometimes we can lose sight of 
we are like being small business owners and that these are our companies, we can decide the type of environment we want to create for people. And we don't have to follow the norms of these like large corporate environments or things like that. So even if it's down to just, you know what, I, I want to try the unlimited vacation time for my, for my people or, I want to provide flexible work schedules for my my team because someone on my team wants to have a baby. Like I feel like we we get put into this like, oh, well, as you keep growing, now you have to follow all of the norms of these bigger businesses, but quite literally we don't. And we don't we can help create these environments for ourselves of yeah, I want to make more money too as the owner, but that doesn't mean that my team shouldn't make more money. And it doesn't mean that just because I've learned not to deal with harassing contractors doesn't mean I need to put my team in the way of those people anymore. And I need to remember to be like the mama bear for my team too. And like, this isn't just like a, I think part of it is this culture of like, well, everyone, you know, quote, pays their dues and we all have to just suck up being abused and mistreated for it's like, no, we literally don't have to do that. We don't have to create that environment and we we need to continue so as as a, in, an industry and even wider, call out that behavior. And I know we've talked about on the show before where it's like, it's not okay. We don't have to live like this. But the more that we show that it can be done in a healthy way and demonstrate what it can look like or feel like in our companies, I, I think we can start to get progress made in the industry where, and, and maybe we're seeing some of that effect now where People aren't going to work for these environments anymore. People are like resigning from jobs. They're just not accepting low pay. They're like, well, sorry, I don't want the job then if you're not willing to negotiate a proper pay or salary. Like, I think people should feel empowered. You know, we're making this life transaction of get what you need out of it. But also, like, but also, I think, like, voting, yes. like, Mothers need support, like, because maternity, I mean, having been on both sides and owning a company with a lot of mother or pregnant aged women, I guess it was hard. It was hard mm-hmm. being a small business owner and having people go on maternity leave, like you want to support them and you need to support them, but it is really hard. And yeah, our, our American society does not support it that doesn't, at no, all it doesn't it doesn't just encourage women it. it doesn't encourage it it, in, it encourages you to be punishes barren. Yeah. <laughs> yeah punishes you exactly yeah. for for having children and it's unfortunate that that it makes, happens it breeds resentment us. because like i think the way that the our laws are set up and the lack of maternal support is it breeds resentment from the companies to women having babies and then you're having a baby and you're like, what the fuck? Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, I can't right. pay for and any I also, of this. I also think it's a form of discrimination sometimes yeah, because sure. then they, they, a lot of companies I've seen have, uh, they're, they'll hire 20 to, you know, 25 year olds, mm-hmm. right? Because they know that that's them. not, mm-hmm. that they'll work a lot. Right. Hope that they they know that they'll work a lot. They know that they will devote their lives and they don't have anything else or any other responsibilities around work. So it's just, I agree with you, Sean. I think we can do better. And I think we will offer, you know, more supportive environments for our employees. 
And I think, you know, just having these kind of honest conversations, especially your podcast, I feel has been very, very real and very transparent about what this business is and not such a, like a curated, you know, perfect view of what interior design is. Like sometimes <laughs> it's annoying and sometimes it's awful and sometimes it's amazing. Some it's, it's amazing at the same time, yeah. you know, like it's yeah. all of those things. Yeah. We can be more supportive of our employees. I hope that people can and each see other. that. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I think like, I think it's interesting that it's this avant-garde move of ours to share resources with our peers. I mean, I don't really think of it as competitors, even though that's technically the word. And I don't know. It's, it's putting in, like you were saying, it's like putting into the universe what you want to get back. And if you just keep gatekeeping and being closed off to other ideas and helping each other doesn't come back to you. No, but it's coming back by just being liberating and helpful. So that's like helpful. It's liberating to just be free with things and to not feel like I'm guarding myself. I picked that like Abby, what you were saying is just like being able to be, in in every sense of that word, like authentically 100% yourself, every time you show up with a client or to a project, like that means that they're getting the best version of you, but also the best version of your creativity and your passion. And you're willing to pour your intensity into the, the people and the projects that where you get to be the most yourself and bring the best of yourself. And I feel like that's what any client should really want is like, if Abby really enjoys working with me, my project is going to be better too. And I want that relationship with someone and I want that for my home too. It just comes back to us tenfold. It really does. I I can't tell you, like, I think, I think also we were talking about the lessons that we got from like difficult jobs and things. I think working with difficult clients helped me to, understand what a amazing need that right (laughs) sometimes you need that sometimes you need like the worst of the worst to tell you to show you like like, how bad it could actually be (laughs) so that you can be so yeah you can be so grateful for the clients that are really actually trying to work with you and so those are those are lessons and it's can i just have one of those though like i I just need one worst case scenario like i'm still in recovery (laughs) from (laughs) just one a year that's it i I don't even want one a year i don't want one a year the one i had last year like (laughs) killed me for four months like a third of my year probably like no i can't i had i had one this year or last year it was it was terrible it's just so draining for your mental health and just for your overall well-being like you come home and you're super drained and that was that was my experience in the field too like i would just come home and be like finally I can be myself now, you know, and it's just so draining either way to have like a difficult work environment or a difficult client. It's almost the same kind of situation, but yeah, we can somewhat control it and try to keep our eyes open for. Well, we can choose now, right? Like for me, I can choose now. So I feel so much more equipped to say no, because I know the red flags now. And I can say when I have a discovery call with somebody, somebody just contacted me the other day 
and said, this isn't going to be like a full design. It's just like, I have a lot of furniture and, you know, I just want to see where it goes. And I'm like, I already know I'm probably not going to take this job. <laughs> like I, that's not what I do. You know, it's just not what I do. And it's not to be difficult or anything. Like I, there's enough to go around for everybody, but I'm not the one for you. Right. Yeah. And so just to recognize that is so much more helpful and so much more powerful, empowering now to be able to do that. Abby, thank you so much for being so transparent and open and sharing some really vulnerable situations. And and from the moment you told us what you wanted to share, I, I love that you were willing to share it and open to sharing it with us. So honestly, and then I know that it's a big ask to put these kinds of things out into the world for everyone else to hear. And I know that the hotties are going to hear this. And I know you're going to be getting DMs from other hotties who are sharing what their experiences have been like in the industry. And the, I'm I'm really like excited to hear how those conversations can change what we do. Can you share with the listeners where they can find you? Sure. You can find me on Instagram at casamarcelo.co, C-A-S-A-M-A-R-C-E-L-O.co. Um, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> She's a good DM. www.casamarcelo.co. You can look at my website. But yes, we, I'm a DMer, We share so DMs DM. and voice messages back and forth <laughs> with each other when we, when we hit on hot topics with each other. So I know that the conversations won't end after today. And I'm hopeful that more hotties will find you. And I, and I love how... Yeah, I love how honest you are with your joys and struggles of early motherhood. Like a lot of us have been through it and it's it's a journey. You're doing it. It's a journey. We're doing it. We're getting through this. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. It's been great. So until next time. Stay hot designers. Thanks for listening to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. For more on what we talked about today, check out the show notes. Your support helps us grow, so share with your design besties. And subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Our conversations continue on Instagram. And be sure to download our monthly resources on our website and our Patreon. 